today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. The pattern here is that someone begins a relationship of following Jesus and then they introduce him to others. You may not know a a whole lot of Bible verses. You may not be trained or skilled in, in explaining the scriptures. But one thing you do have, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then there ought to be something in your life that would allow you to speak to someone else to say, you know what? I think that you need to check out Jesus Christ. Do you remember when you first fell in love? At first, you may have updated your social media status to show that you were in a relationship. Next, you just couldn't wait to introduce that special person to your family and friends. Today, Pastor David will teach us that it's the same way with Christ. When you have a genuine love relationship with Him, you can't wait to tell and share Him with others. After all, He is too amazing not to share. So who are you going to tell? What are you waiting for? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Forsake and Follow. time of year is really nice and for those of us that live here in the desert of Casa Grande by the time we get to the second half of October we know that fall is here because the temperatures are in the 90s yeah (laughs) who'd have thunk hallelujah we're in the 90s you know But this is also the time of year that uh, probably on just about any given night, and particularly on Sunday afternoons, there are football games that are being played all over the place. Now, most of you know, if you've been with us for very long, you know that I am not a sports fanatic at all. As a matter of fact, I, I don't get into sports that much at all. I didn't play it much as a kid in my adult life. We watch a little bit. I just don't get into it that much. But I do know some things just just by living, you know, the 62 years. I know that's a young life. But by living the 62 years that I've lived is that within something like a, a football game, whenever a football game is being played, it impacts a number of people in a number of different ways. Follow along with me if you would. First of all, you have the, what I would call the detractors. These are the ones that don't like the game at all and or are pretty much ambivalent to the game. Hey, take it, leave it, whatever. Or they are totally against, you know, such uh, violence and such, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, horrible stuff that's going on and the millions of dollars that are poured out. They're just against the game totally, okay? Then you have the second group, the observers, 
The observers are the ones that, whether it be a Sunday afternoon or Monday evening or now Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday or Saturday, uh, they, they sit at home in their armchair and they watch the game on the television. So they're not in the stadium. They're just simply observers from the outside. The third group I look at, and those are what I'm calling the supporters. Now, supporters are the ones, they paid the price of admission. They're actually in the stadium. They're cheering the teams on. They're, they're giving that emotional drive that the teams need to be able to go out and do what they're meant to do. These supporters, they're there with them. They're cheering on. They're actually a, a, a part of the action. They're in the stadium. The fourth group is the ones that I call the participants. These are the players on the field. And maybe not even the players on the field. They, they are part of the team, though. They, they may be on the bench, you know, the, the entire season. Maybe for many seasons they've been on the, on the bench, but they are part of the team. They are participants in what's going on. And then there is the fifth group, and I call these the winners. The winners. They've gone the distance. They've fought the good fight. They might not have had the highest scores. They might not even have earthly trophies, but they know within themselves that they fought the good fight, that they, uh, again, put everything that they had into the game. They went with it with all that they had, 110%, every chance that they got. And in reality, whether they had the highest score or not, they are winners because they did what they were supposed to do to the best of their abilities. The main difference that I see between these groups is primarily the depth of their commitment and their participation. The depth of their commitment and their participation. And I think that we see some of those parallels within the church today. And I want you to bear those in mind today as we continue on in our study. We're in the book of Luke. We're in the fifth chapter. We finally got through with chapter four. In the fifth chapter here, we come to that time in the lives of Peter, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew's brother and James and John, two other brothers, where they leave everything, leave everything to follow Christ. Now, they had been following him when we look at the, at, at the gospel message, and we're going to be looking at it a little bit deeper this morning we're going to find out that they've been following him, at least in some form, in some fashion, for a while up to this point. But on this particular day, here in chapter 5, their lives take this dramatic turn of fullest commitment and deepest devotion. They've determined to be full-on living participants in the kingdom of God. It's going on in their life here. And to help us to see all of that, and we're, we're going to pull it all together, hopefully, this morning, let me first start with where we're at right now this morning. Let's look at the passage that we have this morning here in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and they asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, 
Master, we've, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. In verse 11, So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. We're going to cover the whole passage in a moment, but for right now, look at that last verse, verse 11. When they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, at first glance, we could look at this and we wonder, well, maybe these guys just recently came into acquaintance with the Lord and they've, they've moved right on into this full discipleship mode, full participation. But actually, as I said earlier, they had already been following him for a while at this point. And again, but just not in that deep of a committed relationship as what we see this change taking place here at this point in time. At this point in time, or prior to this point in time, you might say that they were supporters of the work, but they weren't quite participators. This morning, we're going to do a little bit of backtracking, and I know that I do that many times, kind of back up a couple of verses to get into where we're at to bring it into context, but I'm going to really backtrack a lot this morning, so I need you to bear with me because what I need to do is kind of set the stage of why this particular time in the lives of the disciples is such a powerful change from where they had been. And again, as we look at this, we, we just want to make sure that we know where they're at, and how that responds in our own lives. One of the things that we know about the gospel records, they don't necessarily follow each other in terms of all of the events of Jesus' life. You have to look at all four of the gospels in order to be able to lay out and track the life of Jesus and the life and the following of his disciples. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Gospel of John, he tells us that there were many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we know that in the four Gospels, we have a wide understanding of what Jesus did, but we don't have all that Jesus did. Some of the things we do know, some of the things they were recorded, we need to glean from all of the gospel records in order to get that. And so I need you to, again, bear with me this morning as we bring these relationships of the disciples up to speed till we get to these events here in Luke chapter 5. It would have been just about right after the time of Jesus' baptism, after his 40 days of wandering in the wilderness, his temptations from uh, Satan, it's during that time when some of the disciples of John the Baptist began following Jesus. Keep you on track with me. You can keep your place in Luke 5, uh, but also turn to John, if you would, the, the gospel according to John. Go to your right, just a few passages or a few pages there. And John, 
In John chapter 1, we find that, again, there was a time, and I believe that this is after the wilderness temptations, Jesus returning out of the wilderness, and as he's walking by where John the Baptist was still baptizing, John speaks down in verse 36 and 37 of John 1, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then two of his disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. We find out a little bit later in that passage, just a couple of verses down, verse 40 and 41, that the one of those two that followed Jesus, that were disciples of John the Baptist, was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we've found the Messiah. And then the following day, as we keep uh, still in John's gospel record, down in verse 43 and 45, we find that Jesus is preparing, as he's preparing to leave the southern area of the wilderness and head on up to Galilee, it says that first he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. And then Philip, he found Nathanael and said to him, we've found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Do you see the pattern here? The pattern here is that someone begins a relationship of following Jesus and then they introduce him to others. You may not know a, a whole lot of Bible verses. You may not be trained or skilled in, in explaining the Scriptures. But one thing you do have, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then there ought to be something in your life that would allow you to speak to someone else, to say, you know what, I think that you need to check out Jesus Christ. I think that you need to read who he is. I can show you some scriptures, but it would be better if you read it yourself. Because let me tell you what's happened in my life. I'm not perfect, but I know that my sin is forgiven. And I've entered into a relationship with him. It is a relationship that not only offers forgiveness of sin, but it offers, again, the reality of knowing that God is in control of my life and that I can have peace in the midst of all the chaos that's going on in my life. You see, you can explain your story better than anyone else can. And when it's your story of how Christ moved and worked in your life, man, that's powerful to someone else. But you know what? If Christ never really moved and worked in your life, maybe you just don't have a story. These guys came and they said, we found the Messiah. We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. What a great pattern that is for each of us to be able to follow. If you know Jesus, then why not ask other people to come and investigate the truths that you've found yourself? So now at this point here in John, and this is the early beginnings of the ministry of Jesus, we have at least these four disciples, Simon Peter and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. They're following Jesus as he returned from that area of the Judean wilderness heading up to Galilee. But you need to realize that these guys were already going to be going up to Galilee. They were heading back home also. You see that Galilean area is where these guys were from. And I look at this, and, and as I've studied this this week, I, I look in here and I see that they at this point in time are following him more out of curiosity than anything else. Come and follow me. 
you're going my way. Yeah, I'll follow you. I want to hear who you are. I want to learn who you are. I want to see, is he really the Messiah? Is he really the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about? You're headed my way, I'll follow you. It's convenient. It's the direction I was going to go anyway. Now, you might think that I'm stretching the point here, but stay with me for a bit. According to the gospel records, shortly after they got back to that area of Galilee, they attended the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Most of you know that story where Jesus turned the water into wine and all the Baptists tried to turn the wine back into water. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Jesus was there with his disciples for the first of his miracles. And John tells us that although they had formally recognized him as Messiah, It was here in Cana, after this miracle, that we read that they actually believed in him. Look at chapter 2 in John, in, in verse 11. It says, this was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory. And then what does it say? And his disciples believed in him. Suddenly they realized, wow, this isn't just a rabbi. This is something much, much more than that. So if you're following along with me, there was this initial belief, this initial understanding, or at least curiosity, and then it was later confirmed following that miracle and that manifestation of his glory. And that's what it says here. His disciples believed in him. They had, at, up until this point in time, they had simply been observers. And now, as they've moved in it, they're now at least committed supporters They believed in him. It's shortly after this event that then we find Jesus and whichever disciples he has at this point, they go back to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passovers. This is the first trip to Jerusalem for the Passovers that the Gospels give us. This is the first of two times that Jesus turns over the tables and cleans out the temple. But he also did other miracles there among the people during that visit. And once again, it's John who tells us about it. In chapter 2 of John down in verse 23, he says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, what does it say? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Now, at at that point in time, we would think we had a great revival and we're going to bring them all into the church. We're going to sign them up on our rolls. We're going to put them busy about doing the work of the church. But listen to what, it hap- what happens when Jesus is involved in this. What does it say? But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. I bring this out because there's this major thing that's happening here, and it's all too easy just to pass it by. As we've been going through Luke, for those of you that have been with us in the study of Luke, you you know that on more than one occasion that the people, particularly the people of Capernaum, oh, they were impressed by Jesus. They were amazed at his teaching. They were were overwhelmed the fact, man, he drove a, a demon out of this guy. That is awesome. But what have we been saying about Capernaum along this way? There was no repentance. They were impressed by him. They were excited about Jesus. Oh, they loved a Jesus that could heal their diseases, cast out their demons, and fill their pantries. Who wouldn't want a Jesus like that? But I'm not committing my life to that. I just want you to heal my diseases. I just want you to cast out my demons. I just want you to fill my pantries. 
Can't we just leave it at that? Jesus knew the heart of all men. He didn't commit himself to them. Why? Because they were impressed. And maybe they even believed. Maybe they believed that he was the Messiah. But as we shared last week, he, for them, he was just a fix-it Messiah. Because there was no surrender of their lives to the leading of Christ in their lives. They might have one time been detractors who feel that they're now supporters, but they haven't really signed in at all. At best right now, they're still observers. They're on the outside looking in. Wow, that is great. That is awesome. Hand me some more nachos, please. They're not really a part of it. Here in John chapter 2, we see the same thing. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, for he knew what was in man. Armchair quarterbacks. A lot to say about the game, but not really in the game. They've even got the lingo down. They know how the game is played. They even know the rules of the game. They know some of the players of the game. They might even know the history of the game, but they're not in the game. They're on the outside looking in. That's why on this very same visit to Jerusalem, still here in John, that John shows us where Jesus now meets up with this Pharisee, this man by the name of Nicodemus, one of the, one of the Sanhedrin who comes to him uh, covered by night. He, he doesn't want to be seen by anyone else. He's very curious about all of this. And so he comes to Jesus by night, and we see this in John chapter 3. Nick had apparently been one of those who were impressed by Jesus, but his life, catch this, his life had not been changed at this point. As a matter of fact, he even told Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. That's almost like a profession of faith, isn't it? There's no commitment there. He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Jesus responds to him. Wow, thank you very much, Nick. I'm glad you realize these aspects of my life. It's not what he said. Jesus tells this very religious man who confesses that Jesus is from God. Listen to what Jesus tells Nicodemus. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, a guy that's led by logic, he said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus comes back to the point. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So if you're tracking with me, what we see here up to this point, this, this enormous amount of people, they've made this intellectual acceptance of who Jesus was. There was perhaps even an emotional response to the activity and the actions of Christ in their life. But there was no rebirth. No rebirth because there was no repentance. I could probably raise my hand in any gathering of probably just about any uh, city in the United States, perhaps even around the world. And if they had some concept of heaven, say, who wants to go to heaven? And hands all over the auditorium or all over the crowd would say, absolutely, I want to go to heaven. You want to go to hell? Well, no, I want to go to heaven. 
and come forward and pray this prayer. Are people born again at that point? Has there been repentance? Has there truly been a turning of their heart and life over to Christ? Or are they simply signing up for the trip? These, at this point, they're only observers. Sitting on the outside, looking at hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.